head-on rush at the biggest questions will automatically yield the deepest insights. I shall first of all make no predictions about human futures either for years, decades, millennia, or geological ages, or for individuals, family lineages, or races, or for cities, nations, hemispheres, or galaxies. I limit myself to predicting the aforementioned glut of books about the millennium. Second, I refuse to speculate about the psychological source either for the angst that always accompanies the endings of centuries, not to mention millennia, or for the apocalyptic beliefs that have pervaded human cultures throughout recorded history, particularly among the miserable and malcontented. Instead, I will confine myself to a set of related millennial questions that may seem paltry or laughably limited compared with the grandeur of unknowable futures, but that as I hope to convince you, gain greater potential import by their definability and their exemplification in fruitful ways of questions as general as the nature of truth and the mechanisms of human knowledge. God bless all the precious little examples and all their cascading implications. Without these gems, these tiny acorns bearing the blueprints of oak trees, essayists would be out of business. I want to talk about calendars and numbers, about fingers, toes, and the perception of evenness, about the sun and the moon, the age of the earth, and the birth of Jesus. These preciously definite but wondrously broad calendrical questions all arise from a foible of human reasoning, and also underlie all the passionate arguments now swirling around the impending millennial transition. In a famous motto, the Roman dramatist Terence stated in the 2nd century B.C., Homo sum humani nihil a me alienum puto. I am a man, and nothing human can therefore be alien to me. Our urge to know is so great, but our common errors cut so deep. You just gotta love us, and you gotta view misguided millennial passion as a primary example of our uniqueness and our absurdity, in other words, of our humanity. The astronomical, historical, and calendrical questions of this book all rest upon the distinction between nature's factual status and our arbitrary definitions within these constraints. In other words, the interaction of undeniable reality and the flexibility of human interpretation. Some things in nature just are, even though we can parse and interpret such real items in wildly various ways— a lion is a lion is a lion, and lions are more closely tied by genealogy to tigers than to earthworms. Of course, I recognize that some system of human thought might base its central principle upon a spiritual or metaphorical tie between lion and earthworm. But nature's genealogies would not be changed thereby, even though the evolutionary tree of life might be utterly ignored or actively denied. But other important categories in our lives, however precisely definable and however objectively ascertainable, must be judged as arbitrary in the crucial sense that nature permits a plethora of equally reasonable alternatives, while providing no factual basis for a preferred choice. For example, each pitch baseball crosses home plate in a particular location of undeniable factuality. But the definitions for balls and strikes are human decisions— entirely arbitrary with respect to the physics of projection, however sensible within a system of rules and customs regulating this popular sport.
These definitions can also change, and have often done so, when circumstances favor an alteration. Similarly, although nature dictates days by a full rotation of the earth, the parsing of days into packages of seven called weeks represents an arbitrary decision of some human cultures. Millennial questions record our foibles rather than nature's dictates, because they all lie at the arbitrary end of this spectrum. At the opposite and factual end, nature gives us three primary cycles. Days as earthly rotations, lunations, we define our months slightly differently and for interesting reasons, as revolutions of the moon around the earth, and years as revolutions of the earth around the sun. God, who on this issue is either ineffable, mathematically incompetent, or just plain comical, also arranged these primary cycles in such a way that not a one of them works as a simple multiple of any other, the major theme of Chapter 3 and a source of many millennial issues. In an intermediary position, definitions are surely arbitrary, but nature's factuality nudges independent cultures toward common, but by no means universal, resolutions. The solar year, for example, does not fall naturally into four equal periods called seasons, but the existence of two solstices and two equinoxes, ascertainable with reasonable ease in most places where people live at high density, and truly important to know for such basic activities as hunting and gathering and the later development of agriculture, may impose a slight natural bias for division by four. Nonetheless, Many cultures use other systems, more attuned to immediate surroundings. In many tropical regions, for example, day lengths and temperatures don't vary drastically, and solstices and equinoxes may regulate nothing of great importance. Whereas a two- or more-fold division of predictable rainy and dry times within the solar year makes far more sense as a basis for divisions. I once spent several months on Curaçao, the formerly Dutch island off the coast of Venezuela. Here no prominent seasonality exists in any natural form, though an indirect surrogate might be found in fluctuating numbers of tourists from lands with pronounced climatic cycles, for the trade winds blow all year from the east, and dryness always prevails. The daily newspaper doesn't even include a weather report, for nothing much varies. Any notable fluctuation, a hurricane or even an extensive storm, is treated as news, not weather. Millennial madness, or at least fascination, surely lies at the arbitrary end of this spectrum, for nature recognizes no divisions by thousands. The intrinsic advantages of decimal mathematics have often been noted, and our Arabic numerology surely gives a thousand that nice look of evenness, enhanced in our century by the active turning of automobile odometers. But we also recognize that these advantages do not arise from nature's construction, and we know that several cultures developed entirely functional and beautifully complex mathematical systems on bases other than ten, and therefore with no special status attached to the number one thousand at all. Perhaps the old saw that links decimal mathematics to our ten fingers has validity after all, and perhaps for this reason, systems based on ten do follow a natural bias. But Mayan culture, for example, developed an elegant vigesimal mathematics based on twenty. Perhaps they counted both fingers and toes. 
and this complex numerical system honored many cycles and evennesses, but not millennia or any multiples of 1,000. Besides, and in any case, our ten fingers represent an evolutionary contingency that might easily have settled upon a different and equally functional outcome. Darwinian processes did not confer ten fingers upon early reptiles because, more than 300 million years later, a brainy species would walk upright, separate fingers from toes, and then recognize that ten fingers imply the most convenient mathematics. The first terrestrial vertebrates had six, seven, or eight digits on each limb. The eight little piggies of one of my previous books. Base eight isn't bad either, but vertebrates followed a different evolutionary pathway. And maybe on a plausible alternative Earth, the horse would not have become extinct in North America. The Mayans might then have domesticated a beast of burden, invented the wheel, and maybe even those two great and dubious innovations of ultimate domination efficient oceanic navigation, and gunpowder. Europe was a backwater during the great Mayan age in the midst of the first millennium of our Christian era. Continue the reverie, and Mesoamerica moves east to conquer the old world, makes a concordat with imperial China, and vigesimal mathematics rules human civilization for the foreseeable ever after. The millennium, the blessed thousand-year reign of a local god known as Jesus Christ, then becomes a curious myth of a primitive and conquered culture, something that kids learn in their third-grade unit on global diversity. But decimal Europe prevailed instead, and decimal Europe became Christian for other contingent reasons, and Christianity has maintained an interesting historical myth about the millennium. Western culture married this particular apocalyptic tale with a focus on intervals.